Alrighty folks, and welcome to the Chronicler Podcast channel. This is episode 35, The Establishment of Shu Han, Part 1. So in today's episode, we will take a step away from both Tao Tao and Sun Quan and focus on the last founder of one of the three kingdoms, and that is of course a man named Liu Bei. Now, Liu Bei's story is very long. So long, in fact, that I need to split this story into two parts. So, this is going to be the first part. We're going to focus on his early career. And then from there, we will focus on his later career. That's the plan, anyway. That's what we are going to be doing. So, Liu Bei, by all accounts, was the descendant of Emperor Jin of Han who was the 6th emperor of the Han dynasty. So this is over 100 years before our time period here. Anyway, Emperor Jin's grandson, uh, whatever his name was, I don't really care, uh, he didn't pay the imperial tribute. And as a result, he lost his position within the imperial court. And subsequently, everyone within that branch of the Liu family shared the same fate ever since. Liu Bei was born in the year 161 in Zhuo County, Yu province, at the time. If you want a more modern perspective, it's close to Beijing. Anyway, his father and grandfather were clerks of the commandery. Now, the job didn't exactly pay well, but the family could live somewhat more comfortably than everyone else within the commandery. But early in Liu Bei's childhood, both his grandfather and his father died, leaving him only with his mother. In order to survive, Liu Bei and his mother had to weave sandals. In other words, Liu Bei was broke. Now, he may have been broken financially, but his spirit and resolve remained strong. Evidence of this can be found from something he said early in his youth. The story goes that just outside Liu Bei's home, there was a massive tree that looked like an imperial chariot, and Liu Bei often said, for all to hear, that one day, he, Liu Bei, Liu Xuande, was another name, will ride the imperial chariot as an emperor. Little did anybody know that his own proclamation would become true someday. As a teenager, his mother sent him to work for a governor called Lu Zhu. I have mentioned him before. He was one of the generals sent to put down the Yellow Turban Rebellion and he proved to be quite the teacher for not just Liu Bei, but another man who rose up to be a powerful warlord. That was Gong Sun Zan. Despite having made a new friend and having a lot of respect for his mentor, however, Liu Bei didn't really focus much on his studies, but would rather go hunting and he enjoyed listening to music. He may not have been a good student, but he certainly made a lot of friends with his manners during his time here. When the Yellow Turban bro uh, Rebellion broke out in the year 184, Liu Bei decided to prove his loyalty to the Han Dynasty, or to try and gain some fame, by raising a militia to fight the rebels. A few merchants who passed through Zhuo County were impressed by Liu Bei, and they gave him the funding he needed to fight the rebels and raise a militia. It was also at this time where Liu Bei met his two most loyal followers, Guan Yu and Zhang Fei, 
the three were inseparable, and according to legend, the three of them made an oath inside the Peach Garden to die on the same day. Liu Bei was designated the elder brother, or Da Ge, Guan Yu was the second brother, Ardi, and Zhang Fei was the third brother, Sandi. Now you may have noticed that the word for brother changed for them there, and the reason why is because Ge or Ge Ge is older brother and Didi is younger brother. So if you call someone Da Ge, it means that they are the superior one. Anyway, the novel Romance of the Three Kingdoms really does try to paint this beautiful scene where these brothers make their oath. But in reality, there is no actual evidence that they did make an oath in the Peach Garden. The only source available that was written at the time says they were like brothers. Regardless of whether it happened or not though, the three of them were especially close. And now, the band of three, with their men, set off to fight the Yellow Turbans. For the next year, Liu Bei fought the rebels with his two brothers, but at a battle near Pingyuan, Liu Bei was seriously injured and he almost died. But luckily for him, he recovered. And after the Yellow Turbans were defeated, the Han government handed out rewards to men like Liu Bei with administrative jobs in small commanderies. Liu Bei was given Anxi, a town within Zhongshan Commandery in Ji province. It's not that far away from his hometown, so it's like modern day Hubei province, which is just which surrounds Beijing. However, the Han court quickly revoked the awards they had given, and Liu Bei tried to reason with the official who was sent to dismiss him. Trying to use his very likeable personality traits to win this guy over, Liu Bei requested an audience with the official before he arrived in Anxi. But the problem was the guy claimed to be ill and therefore he could not see Liu Bei. This back and forth happened several times and it got to the point where Liu Bei and his brothers simply stormed into the man's house, dragged him outside, tied him up to a stick and then beat him almost to death. The man began begging for his life and it was only then did Liu Bei stop the beating. Liu Bei then left the commandery and travelled south, as he heard some yellow turban remnants were still there, and he wanted to participate in the mop-up operation. There, he gained more fame, and more importantly, he gained more experience in fighting war. When Emperor Ling died in the year 189, there was a succession crisis, as we all know if you've listened to my previous episodes, and Dong Zhuo took advantage of the situation, and then there was a coalition of powerful warlords called the Guangdong Coalition, who all banded together to put down the tyrant. Now Liu Bei didn't officially participate in the coalition, but he did raise more men and more troops in order to help the coalition. Now in the novel, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, once again, Liu Bei is seen as someone who participates in the coalition and makes a deep impact, especially his sworn brother Guan Yu. But the evidence is that they weren't really a part of it as such. They did kind of volunteer, but they were not like one of the main members, so to speak. So just keep that in mind. And there's also this amazing scene within the novel where Zhang Fei goes to fight Lu Bu, the powerful general, or the undefeatable general, and then he can't really defeat him, so then Guan Yu joins in, and then Liu Bei joins in, and then the three of them are fighting this guy, and the whole scene's awesome, but in reality, it's all fictional. 
I'm sorry, it didn't happen. I'm sorry to burst your little bubble there if you thought that was real. Anyway, if you have listened to my previous episodes, you will know that the coalition failed to remove Dong Zhuo from power, but it didn't really matter as he was killed by Lu Bu in the year 191 anyway. But with the Child Emperor being used as a puppet and warlords all roaming around looking to expand their power, the Han Dynasty descended into a chaotic civil war. Liu Bei, not being anywhere near as powerful as warlords such as Tao Tao or Yuan Shao, decided to help his old friend Gongsun Zan. And Gongsun Zan had managed to establish himself in the north of China at this stage. It was here that Gongsun Zan and Yuan Shao fought a lot of wars for Jin province, and eventually Gongsun Zan did get a bit of the upper hand in one of these battles, thanks to the help of Liu Bei. As a reward for his services, Liu Bei was given the town of Pinyuan to govern. From here, it seems Liu Bei gained a lot of experience in ruling, as rumour has it that it was during this time here he was extremely liked by the population, because he would happily sit and eat with peasants even though he was the governor. Uh, which, and again, this just kind of goes to show his peasant upbringing, so to speak. But as well as that, he protected the commandery from bandits, which were roaming around everywhere during a time of chaos. He also conducted sound economic policies, and he made sure everyone had enough to eat. From this little commandery then, you can see how Liu Bei does get that image of a man of the people. And it's due to the fact that he grew up in poverty, and he was basically one of the regular people, so to speak. Despite being a sound governor though, the war drums called to Liu Bei once again. But this time, he wasn't fighting for Gongsun Zan against Yuan Shao, but instead he headed south across the Yellow River to Shu province. It's kind of like modern day Shandong. And the reason why he went there was because he wanted to help Gongsun Zan's ally, Tao Tian, as he was being attacked by Tao Tao. Now, despite, despite Liu Bei's reinforcements, which numbered around 5,000 men, it just simply wasn't enough, and it looked like Tao Tao would annex the entire region in his first attempt. But at that critical moment, Tao Tao had a rebellion within his own province, which was led by Lu Bu, that dude who killed Dong Zhuo. Tao Qian, for the time being then, was safe, and as a reward for his services, Liu Bei was given an additional 4,000 troops and sent to a city called Xiaopei, to the west of Xu province. From Tao Qian's perspective, this was a good move, as it put Liu Bei on the border with Tao Tao's forces, and if Tao Tao should attack again, he would need to go through Liu Bei's territory first. It didn't really matter for Tao Qian though, as he died in the year 194, and as a result, a power struggle ensued between Tao Qian's sons and Liu Bei. Now in the novel, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, Liu Bei is so loved and so popular that everyone begs him to take over the province, but he refuses, as it would mean he usurped power there. And of course, he is a man of integrity, so he can't be doing that. Eventually, though, even Tao Qian's sons began begging him to become the emperor, sorry, the emperor, the governor of Xu province, and from there he relented. Now, a less biased perspective says that Liu Bei took advantage of the situation and gobbled up the province for himself. Which, yeah, I think he kind of did. 
But while Liu Bei was taking over Shu province and learning the Confucian style of rule within a province, Tao Tao and Lu Bu were fighting in Yan province. And Lu Bu, after winning the first few engagements at first, was now quickly losing ground and had to, to retreat east towards Shu province. When he arrived at Xiapi, the capital of the province, Lu Bu asked to seek refuge with Liu Bei. And to everyone's shock or surprise, Liu Bei actually agreed to this. I mean, what was he thinking? Liu Bu, the guy who, had adopted, who was adopted twice and killed both of his adopted fathers. And then now, he just led a rebellion against Tao Tao. Why would you trust this guy? But, if we're going to look at things from Liu Bei's perspective, I think I can see why. Just because his entire situation was that he was severely weaker than Tao Tao, who would surely come to Shu province once again, and he needed allies. But still, not having Lu Bu is better than having him. Now, as a surprise to absolutely nobody, Lu Bu betrayed Liu Bei in the year 195. I actually really like the story behind this, so I am going to share it here. So Tao Tao had just managed to save, <coughs> save uh, Emperor Xian and brought him back to his capital, Xu Chang. Still wanting Xu province, Tao Tao used his authority as the guardian of the emperor to issue edicts to other warlords, bringing them to heel. But when it came to Xu province, the situation was different. Tao Tao knew that he couldn't attack when Liu Bei, as well as Liu Bu, were stationed there. So he began to sow discord between them. Not only that, he also used Yuan Shu, the warlord south of Shu province, to sow said discord. Now you get that saying like, you know, killing two birds with one stone? Well Tao Tao here is killing three. So what he did was he sent an edict proclaiming he was now the guardian of the emperor to all warlords. But he also handed out secret edicts to these three warlords that I just mentioned. Liu Bei was told that Yuan Shu was amassing troops and that intelligence said he was mobilizing to attack Shu province. Yuan Shu was told that Liu Bei was amassing troops and that he, intelligence said he was mobilizing to attack Runan Commandery, which is where Yuan Shu was at the time. And so the two of them marched to war. But what about Liu Bu? But from what I read, Lu Bu was also given a secret edict, telling him that he, he removed Liu Bei from power in Shu province, that he would be rewarded with jade, gold, silver, as well as the entire province. Lu Bu, seeing his chance, just needed an excuse. And it didn't take long for said excuse to come to him as Liu Bei left his brother, Zhang Fei, to defend Xia Pi while he was off fighting Yuan Shu. Now, despite being told several times by Liu Bei not to drink, Zhang Fei ended up holding a banquet and got really drunk. Having a short temper sober, it was worse when he was drunk, and Zhang Fei killed the Chancellor inside Xia Pi after an argument. From the chaos inside the city, Liu Bu found defectors and then took over the city. Now this was definitely one of Liu Bei's low points, and there are a few, as he now had two enemies to face on two fronts. Liu Bei headed back north to try and retake Xia Pi, but his forces were too demoralised 
and a frontal assault on the city would have been suicidal. So Liu Bei and his band tried to flee south and bypass Yuan Shu's army. But unfortunately for them, they were caught and soundly defeated, and Liu Bei's army was now at a complete loss. They were isolated, and because of the situation with the war effort, nobody dared to help Liu Bei in his situation, so his men were all starving as well. And there are even reports of his army resorting to cannibalism at this stage of events. Now I think it is safe to say that most people would simply have given up and died at this serious turn of events. But this is Liu Bei we are talking about here. So what he did was swallow his pride and marched back towards Xiapi and he surrendered to Liu Bu. Liu Bu, feeling rather satisfied with himself, allowed Liu Bei to live and stationed him at Xiaopei to gather men and support uh, to stop Yuan Shu's invasion, which was still happening. However, because of Liu Bei's popularity, thousands of men joined him and he soon had a force of 10,000 men at his disposal. Liu Bu, feeling smug one minute, was now feeling threatened the next. So he betrayed Liu Bei once again and attacked him before he got too powerful. Liu Bei's forces were completely routed and it was here that he fled to the court of Tao Tao. Tao Tao, now seeing his chance because everything was divided in Shu province, launched his invasion once again. And it was this time that Liu Bu was captured alive. Liu Bu tried to offer his services to Tao Tao and even asked Liu Bei to speak on his behalf. Liu Bei then went on to tell Tao Tao to adopt Liu Bu as his son. A wee reminder of what happened to those who did this before. Now Tao Tao was actually considering taking Liu Bu in. But then, after hearing what Liu Bei had to say, he immediately changed his mind and he executed Liu Bu. So that was the end of Liu Bu. And after Annex and Shu province, Tao Tao then went back to his capital in Shu Chang. And there is a lot of stories about what happened to Liu Bei during his time in Shu Chang. For example, when he met the emperor, the emperor wasn't exactly sure if he was actually an imperial relative, and then ordered his eunuchs to check the imperial genealogy. I'll just say that again. Now, there are many stories about what happened to Liu Bei during his time in Xuchang. For example, when he met the emperor, the emperor wasn't sure if he was actually an imperial relative, and then ordered his eunuchs to check the imperial genealogy. And sure enough, he was confirmed to be a descendant of the founding father of the Han Dynasty, Liu Bang. Thus he earned the nickname, the Imperial Uncle, as he was older than the current emperor. However, what is a more interesting story is his interactions with Tao Tao at the time. Tao Tao, despite being somewhat cruel and villainous and paranoid, seemed to show Liu Bei a lot of respect and tried to win him over as he knew Liu Bei was a capable man. One story goes that Tao Tao invited Liu Bei to drink wine with him in his own plum garden, and the two of them discussed who the heroes of the land were. Liu Bei gave some suggestions, for example, Yuan Shao, Sun Quan, and Gong Sun Zan, but Tao Tao dismissed all of them, then said, the only heroes in the land are you and me. As he said this, 
A crack of lightning thundered through the sky and made Liu Bei jump with alarm. To which Tao Tao began laughing and said he wasn't so sure if Liu Bei was a hero after all, considering he was scared of lightning. The most important story, however, was when Emperor Xi'an tried to find people still loyal to the Han Dynasty and not to Tao Tao, who had basically usurped all power at this stage. And he found Liu Bei to be one who was still loyal, obviously. Anyway, the story goes that he was so upset that he wrote an edict in blood which proclaimed Tao Tao as a usurper of power and that by order of the emperor, he should be killed. The conspiracy, of course, failed and Liu Bei was mentioned. But by this stage, Liu Bei had already gotten away from Tao Tao's clutches and retook Shu province under the pretext of being sent there to battle Yuan Shu, who was trying to seek refuge with his half-brother Yuan Shao after being defeated. And it was on this road that Yuan Shu died, and then Liu Bei, after hearing upon Yuan Shu's death, marched to the capital of Shu province and killed the governor there. So once again, Tao Tao lost Shu province. And it couldn't have come at a worse time for him, as he was now openly at war with Yuan Shao. And of course, Liu Bei, after betraying Tao Tao, needed a friend, and Yuan Shao was the perfect friend to have at this time. But, to give Tao Tao credit, he was pretty decisive in this regard. He personally led his forces to crush Liu Bei in Shu province, and within a few months, Liu Bei was soundly defeated, and the province was once again pacified under Tao Tao's control. Luckily for Liu Bei, Tao Tao was more focused on Yuan Shao, and he managed to escape with his brother Zhang Fei, where they offered their services to Yuan Shao. Guan Yu, however, was isolated from his brothers and besieged at Xiao Pei, but realising the situation was rather hopeless, he surrendered temporarily to Tao Tao. The war between Tao Tao and Yuan Shao was a disaster for the latter, especially after the Battle of Guandu. And after learning of where Liu Bei was, Guan Yu then rushed to his elder brother and again marched away from the epicentre of the fighting and sought refuge with Liu Biao in the south at Jin province. Now, I realise that this isn't the establishment of Shu Han, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it is how Liu Bei's military and political career got started. And I think this is a good place to pause and continue the story next week, as this is where, you know, Liu Bei is popular, but he isn't powerful yet. But this all changes when he gets to Jin province, and of course, it is largely due to Liu Bei visiting a cottage in Jin province. Not once, not twice, but three times. He was looking for a man who had an awesome hat, an even more stylish fan, and was called Shui Long, or in English, the Sleeping Dragon. Now, of course, I am referring to the man, the myth, the legend, Zhuge Liang. But, of course, we will get to the story next week, and from next week, we will look at what Liu Bei does in Jin province, what happens with the situation with Tao Tao, the Battle of Red Cliff, and then what happens after the battle. Because then this is when we have the establishment of Shu Han, the last of the three kingdoms. So, I look forward to hearing from you next week, and for now, thank you for listening to the Chronicle Podcast channel. See you next time.